I uh, remember hearing discussions from the early 1980s that Montana has been discovered and that Montana is changing by the because of the influx of of all these people coming in. Well, Montana was discovered many times, so it hasn't, wasn't it? It was discovered in 1802 and 1803. Lewis and Clark came through. It was discovered especially beginning in 1863 because of the gold rushes and then the settlers in the 1914 era discovered Montana because of the uh, Homestead Act, and of course you had you had all these all these different discoveries that have happened in Montana, and we're probably I think we're in one that's maybe not as big as as those, but it certainly feels like it right now. Well, the th the thing that's interesting about that is that it's not just Montana, but it's really the entire world that's changing. It's always changing. Our world is always changing. It always will change. That's a constant. Uh, in our life is change. But the good news about that is that the promises of God are unchanging. The, the kingdom of God, while God's mercies are new every morning, his promise, his word, and his commitment to build his church have not changed and will not change. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our appreciation of the fact that God is building his church and we need to get ready to participate in that. However, we have to say it correctly. So we've got this title. This title is Get Ready. But it's not just Get Ready. It's that little, that little thing at the end. There's this furniture store in the city of Helena that I've discovered. And uh, I was driving one day. My son's already laughing here. He knows what we're <laughs> I was driving one day, and I happened to glance at the sign, and there's a couple of words, but then there's this exclamation point at the end of it. So I decided, well, they must intend us to pronounce it a certain way, so I did that. We're driving, and I said, Big Lots! And Julie's like, what's wrong with you? I said, hey, I'm just reading the sign the way they want us to read the sign. It was funny the first time, then I did it like ten more, and it wasn't funny anymore. So today, I would say, don't get ready. Get ready! Get ready! It's an exciting time for us in America, in Montana, on planet Earth, because God is building his church, and he intends to involve all of us in that process. And there's no more exciting thing than you could ever wish for. God's building his church, and that includes you. It includes me. It includes those out there who are yet who have yet to know Jesus Christ, but it's our job to find them and reach them and bring them in to the kingdom. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, I think it would make sense to assess where we are at this moment and do a little bit of a look backward. So we're going to use my highly calibrated super scientific momentuminator. I didn't quite, I didn't do the Dr. Doofensmurf voice. Does anyone know this? Anyone, any Phineas and Ferb fans out here? All right, right, right. So those of you who aren't in the joke, in on the joke, every evil contraption this guy does, he throws in aider at the end of the word, contraption or plant. So these, line, these, these numbers are all made up, but I'm, I'm, I'm using it to illustrate a point. There's two lines on this graph. The blue line represents momentum. 
and the red line indicates friction. And this represents the last couple years of our journey at Mount Helena Community Church. So here's what was going on in the first half of 2019. First half of 2019, we're doing a bunch of ministry. We're sending people around the world. We got people from around the world coming and visiting us. We're just, we're getting so big. We're like, oh my gosh, we, we can't hardly even contain ourselves. We're bursting at the seams. Let's go to two services. So momentum just goes up and friction goes down. We got this area where we go to two services and now we're, we've got more people and we've got more kids and we, did, we signed up like 78 volunteers in one month because we had so many kids back there and we had so many small groups and things are going. And so if you ever read John Maxwell, he, he has this, the laws of leadership and he has one called the law of the big mo, momentum. We've got the big mo. So somewhere here, end of 2019, beginning of 2020, we've got the big momentum, we've got the big mo, and we're feeling like, yeah, we got this thing, we got this whole church thing figured out. And then what happened? That line where, where like somebody jumped off a cliff? What was that? Anyone? What happened in the spring of 2020? Yeah, those darn Chinese, they sent us over, the, okay. <laughs> we got Coronavirus. And not only did we crash our momentum, the whole world just kind of ground to a halt. We weren't even having services. We were doing this online Zoom thing. I'll tell you whose, I'll tell you whose uh, momentum did not fall off the cliff like that was this company Zoom. I mean, they, they suddenly were, uh, they were just, it went the other way, exactly. But... People weren't working, they were at home, people weren't having kids, or they were having kids, probably more kids, uh, but they, the kids were, at, I'm getting the, don't, don't talk about that. Kids are, at, kids are at home, they're not doing school, and so, so you've got all this friction that's coming with that, this friction of we are out of our normal way of doing things. And at some point, we cannot let this pause go on forever. So we go, okay. Eventually, we come back. To, you know, we start doing services in person. Uh, we start bringing back some of the, some of the kids' uh, ministry in, in the back. And we all kind of get back to some level of normalcy, but we haven't quite got there. Because we still have all this friction, right? We have all this friction of some people that have decided that, hey, I've, I've gotten used to life without church, or I've gotten used to life with online church, so I'm not going to come back. And we miss them. We miss them, don't we? And then we've got some people that come back here, and then they're mad that we're wearing masks. And then some people are mad that we're not all wearing masks. And, and so we got all this, that's all friction. And then we got the, in the midst of it, we've got, we've got spiritual theology, and then we've got political ideology, and we, there's this whole overlap, and we don't want to get political parties and salvation of Jesus Christ all mixed up in a blender. That's friction. And the result of it is, then we, we feel like 2020 was a tough year, and then we go into 2021, and some of, some of our folks are a little, little worn out. And so, Jr. and the elders, we talk and we go, Jr. You need to take us. You need to take a sabbatical. And he says, Yes, I need to take a sabbatical. And he takes a sabbatical. And then we we do some changes with with youth leadership at the end of really recently. But what we're doing is we're trying to kind of figure out, okay, um, how do we start laying the groundwork for what we're doing next? It looks like if you measure. 
momentum of a church based solely on people, you know, butts in seats and empty seats, or if you measure it solely based on, uh, you know, if we have a five-piece versus a ten-piece worship group up here, if you base it on those things where you're just counting, it looks like, looks like nothing's happening. But that's not how God works. God's doing things that we can't necessarily see. God's laying the groundwork that right now is not necessarily visible, but it's going to produce visible results. So that's what I want to talk about as far as what's happened, the season we're coming out of, but especially the season we're about to go into. And that's why the title of this message is, Get Ready! Because it's going to be exciting. Now, if I was in the Army, and I happened to be in the Army National Guard, and we had a little situation like this with this, this graph depiction, in the Army, we say that unit, that organization, that mission has culminated. Culminated means that we're on the offense, we're on the attack, because that's what we do, we're Americans, we attack, and we are moving forward and then suddenly something happens where we can't move forward anymore. Maybe we've run into a fortification or an obstacle or something we can't breach. And so we have to kind of stop and move around it or something. Maybe we have a loss of combat power. We have casualties or our equipment's all breaking down. We've run out of supplies. Uh, it could be, uh, I've even seen culmination just happen from like a, a massive rainstorm and flood and you literally have to shut down your ranges for 12 hours and dig vehicles out of the flash flood that are five feet in the mud. That's happened to me before. So, not me, some other guy. But those things cause a temporary halt in whatever you're doing where you've got momentum. Okay? But the thing about culmination is that it's not permanent. It's a temporary period of time and it's a temporary event. So what you have to do is you have to immediately begin working to overcome that difficulty, to rebuild your strength, to reorganize, to identify where you can regain the initiative, and then go back on the offense, because generally you win wars on the offense, okay? So we, as a, as a, as a community church, we probably went through a period of time here where these external events and frankly some internal events, maybe they caused us to culminate a little bit, caused us to go, okay, let's just, let's just hold on here and let's try to not lose momentum. Let's focus on just kind of the internal things we can do. But all that is not permanent. That's temporary, okay? If a unit, that, if a unit permanently culminates, it dies. It gets pulled off the line and replaced, Okay. We're not, that's not going to happen to us. So now, let's think about the series that we just came out of. We just spent six weeks talking about rest, about Sabbath, about time out, about resting in the Lord. The whole purpose of a Sabbath, God gave it to us, first of all, to honor Him, and secondly, because He wanted to take care of us. God created the earth and heaven in six, in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He rested from his work, and then he set an example for us. Because he knows we need rest. He knows we can't wear ourselves out all the time. And then he ultimately brought the Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. 
And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But the whole point of a Sabbath is to rest so you can get back to work. There's nothing worse than being all tired out from doing nothing. But at some point, you're worn out from doing really hard things. You need to rest. But then it's like, okay, Sunday's over, Monday morning, get back out there. That's what we're about to do. We are transitioning to a place where some exciting things are going to start happening. So let's, let me give you an example of, of how, I want to, how I want to lay this out. Because there's some people that are going, I don't get this. You just spent all this time talking about rest. I'm enjoying this whole rest thing. Now you're saying, break time's over. Get back to work. Part of what we have to understand is if we are fulfilling the mission only on our strength and only through our abilities, we're always going to be worn out. There will be no rest because we'll constantly be depleted. What God wants us to understand is how we fulfill his mission, fulfill his labor, fulfill his calling while resting in him, while waiting on him. There's a verse I did not include from Isaiah where he says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Those who wait upon the Lord, understanding that God will fulfill his things in time, God will strengthen those people, and that that's what he wants to accomplish. So here's an example that we're going to talk about, and that is the man named Caleb from the Old Testament. God promised Israel a home. The backstory to this is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were uh, the, three, the three patriarchs of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. They lived in what is now modern-day Israel, and then they called it Canaan land. At some point, they, when, Joseph, when uh, Isaac was, or Jacob was very old, they went to Egypt because there was a massive famine, and God provided them a way to come to Egypt and be blessed. But then, over time, they became slaves in Egypt, and God then... Re- redeemed the the promise of Israel and to Abraham, and he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He did this through miracles and signs and plagues upon the Egyptians, and they were led by a, a prophet named Moses. Moses led them out of Egypt and then across the Red Sea, and they were into the desert, the Sinai Desert, and the whole plan, God's plan, was to provide for them a way to, to move through the desert and then to the land of Israel. But something happened along the way. Along the way... When they got close to Canaan land, they sent out 12 scouts, or spies, basically, to go do a reconnaissance of this land to prepare for, they knew that there would be military battles ahead to to take this land. So 10 of those spies came back and they said, we can't do it. These people are massive warriors, they're dangerous, they're giants. Uh, we, we feel weak and we look small and puny when we, when we see them. And they have these walled cities. The other two, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can do this. We believe in God. God's promised us that he will bring this land to us, or bring us to this land, and that he will fulfill his promise by delivering this land into our hands. So if you look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 6, is where it talks about how these two out of the 12 said, we trust God to fulfill his promise and deliver this land to us. But the majority of the people said, no, we can't do it, and we're going to wimp out. So God said, all right, this entire generation... Will, will, none of them will enter the promised land. None of them, he even says, none of them will enter my rest, except for Joshua, 
and Caleb. So 40 years, they're wandering around in the desert. Joshua and Caleb are the only two that continue on. Everyone else dies out. So when a new generation, raised and influenced by leaders of faith, Joshua and Caleb, when they are now mature and ready to go, God says, okay, we are, I will now take you in to the promised land. And he does so. And they cross the Jordan River. They, they defeat Nineveh and many others. You guys know the story, I think. They reach a point when they've had their initial battles and now Joshua is saying, okay, I'm, we're dividing up the land as God has told us to so that each of the 12 tribes inherits different portions of the land. And Caleb says, I want the blessing that was given to me. And we're going to start in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter, or a big chunk of it. <clears throat> then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought him word again as it was in my heart meaning we can trust God to fulfill his promise and deliver the land to us. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going out and coming in. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So he is saying, I want what God has promised me, this inheritance, and I understand that I'm going to have to fight for it. But I believe in God that he's going to deliver this land to me. And so he was given that land. He went on, he conquered that land, and uh, renamed the city Hebron, and it became a homeland, as part of the homeland for the Jewish people. After all these other tribes inherited their land by doing the same thing, going and fighting and conquering, at the end, in Joshua chapter 23, they now say that, the, that Joshua is near, near death, and he's going to hand over leadership to the next person. And it begins by saying, the Lord gave rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies. So God had brought them into his land, into his rest. And they were resting from two things. First, endless wandering without a homeland or being foreigners that were subject to the cruelties of, of Egypt or another person, right? So they, they were, he was giving them rest from that because he was giving them this inheritance to have. And then secondly, he was giving them rest from war, from conquering their enemies. And that, that was what they achieved here by, by Joshua chapter 23. Those things didn't last forever, did they? There was more war, there was more fighting, there were more enemies attacking them. And later, when Babylon and Persia conquered Israel, there was a diaspora. And then when Rome conquered Israel, there was a worldwide di diaspora. So he did not give them permanent rest from wandering as strangers, and he did not give them permanent rest from war and from enemies. 
But he did at that time fulfill what he had promised them to do. And so many things in the, New, in the Old Testament are a preview of Jesus and his fulfillment of God's plan in the New Testament. This is one of those things. So if you look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, well, the author was a man who was, was writing to a bunch of Jewish people who had become Christians, and he was explaining to them how Jesus fulfilled the promises of God from the Old Testament. There were three main things that he focused on in the first few chapters of Israel. One was this, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more, the rest, that Jesus fulfilled God's promise of rest to his people. Another was the fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham in Jesus, meaning righteousness through faith and a relationship with, uh, through God or with God, not by works, but by uh, grace, by faith and grace. And then the third thing was the fulfillment of Jesus as our eternal high priest, because there were high priests that were Levites under the law. And he explains how Jesus was the great high priest who made a sacrifice of himself once for all, for all people. Those are the three main things you see in the first about six chapters of Hebrews. What I want to focus on today is on the rest portion of it. The rest portion of it, he says, again, he's, he's explaining how the things in the Old Testament are foreshadowings of what Christ will fulfill, and specifically the rest. He says, if Joshua had given the people of Israel rest, permanent, complete rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. But no, there is, in fact, another rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter into that rest. So what does that mean? What is that Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God? It's the salvation of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that we kind of, we touched on throughout this six-week series on rest and on Sabbath, that Jesus said not only am I, he, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, but that Jesus actually is our Sabbath. I like this line here where he says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Again, the first use of the Sabbath, the first example of the Sabbath was at creation. God created heaven and earth in six days, and then on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, he rested from his work. He's saying here, those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who accept him as your Savior, those who, through faith, acknowledge he is our master, you, you rest from your works. I taught a series last summer, if you want to look at it again, it's the last week of June and the first week of July, focused on understanding that distinction. Justification, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, where his blood, his redemption, cleanses our spirit, and we are now eternally present with God upon our death, and God sees us as blameless, because he sees us as children of God and sees God's righteousness. But then the second thing I talked about there is I talked about sanctification. Sanctification being a lifelong process of becoming more like God, of learning the Lord through his word, of communicating and having a relationship with him through prayer, of understanding and receiving and then exercising your spiritual gifts, and communion and growth with other believers. That's a lifelong process. 
And while a lot of, a lot of times we have frustration in that part, of, that part of our walk, we have to understand that through all those things, it's God who does the work. It's God who empowers us. It's God who begins first with salvation in faith. So we, what, I, what I focused on there is this idea of resting from your works. If you are determined to be good enough for God, to be acceptable to God through a daily checklist of what you should do and what you shouldn't do, that's called works. It's called dead works. The Bible calls it dead works. What it means is you cannot ever fulfill a list, any list, a list as complicated as the Mosaic Law. You cannot do all those things perfectly enough to be acceptable and pleasing to God. Only one person lived a life that was acceptable and pleasing to God, and that was Jesus Christ, because he was fully God and fully man. So what, he's, what, what the writer here is saying is, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you rest from that work. You rest from the work, the never-ending, never-fulfilled effort to, on your own goodness and ability, to be good enough for God. Cease from that, accept God's perfect gift of salvation. But that is not the end of your labor. Because resting from your works does not mean that you rest from God's work. It means you begin God's work. And I want to draw an interesting uh, parallel or distinction between two words here that I that I, I think, and I'm not going to say this is universally throughout the Bible, but I really use this to help me understand this point. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus is speaking here. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I use this distinction in my mind. Laborer in God's vineyard is someone who is a child of God and who is working to bring about, uh, bring in God's harvest, okay? That's different than works. I'm going to work my way into perfection in God's eyes. You can't do that. You can't work your way into perfection in God's eyes, but God's called us to labor in his fields, in his vineyards, to bring about the harvest. Jesus says in another place, in John chapter 4, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So God's got a plan to bring about a harvest. He may be calling, he'll call us to sow. And when that, when that term is used generally in the New Testament, it's referring to evangelism. It's referring to spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to people. And then he says, some people will reap. You may reap the harvest that another person sowed. As in, there's maybe somebody who has a friend that's been witnessing to them or sharing with them or loving on them. And maybe finally they reach some point where they're saying, okay, I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Friend's not around. You happen to be Johnny on the spot. It's not, you know, don't take this, 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 uh, this uh, credit like, wow, I, I did the best thing here. I could sell ice to Eskimos. Rather, it's you are at the point where God brought them ready for your for your harvest. You were called at that time to bring that person to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through sharing the salvation and maybe helping usher them through a salvation prayer and a decision for Christ. 
But who really is doing the work in that case? It's not even the friend who started with the sowing, and it's not you who started with the reaping. It's God. The power of God is the one who's bringing about this harvest. If we're using harvest as a metaphor for a spiritual growth in a person, God's the one who's bringing this about. And that's the point of we want to labor in God's vineyard, but labor where God does the work, where we understand we are partners with him, but the Holy Spirit is our energy. Otherwise, we do constantly need rest because we're frustrated, we're worn out, we're depleted because we're trying to, through human effort, replace something that God, through supernatural power, wants to accomplish in us. So, we need to get ready because we have this little thing, uh, we, we, have this, we have this opportunity to touch our world in a way that I wouldn't say is unique to our time because all times require us to to serve God. But this time that we're in now is our time. This is our time. We only get one time. In all of humanity, in all of creation, in all of eternity, we get one time. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. This is it. This is your time. So this time, we happen to be in the midst of maybe some crazy coronavirus or the world's weird, the world's upside down. Well, look back in time. There's always been crazy. There's always been war. There's always been famine. There's always been upheaval. There's always been persecution. Our time is no, no more challenging than times before us. In a lot of ways, it's less challenging than times before us, or it's less challenging than places in our current time. There are Christians being killed in Afghanistan on a daily basis. They're being killed for their faith. And yet, they're staying faithful. So we need to do the same. And I'm asking you to get ready and get my clicker ready. Clicker's dying. Okay, there we go. To get ready for three missions that we're going to be doing and we're going to be talking about over the next year. Not just talking, we're going to be doing. We did all that stuff, right, at the beginning. Uh, culmination, and times, times are tough, and things are down, and we need to get built back up. Well, guess what? The world still needs Jesus Christ. The harvest still needs laborers. You are called as a laborer in at least three areas that we're going to focus on in the next year. The first is in your life. You and your life personally, to begin with. If you are sitting here today listening to me and you're going, I don't know that I've ever done this thing where I accepted Jesus as my Savior and I I have this weight come off of me. I'm asking you and inviting you to do that today. Because the, the, the pressure that's upon a person who's trying to be good enough to God is pressure that will crush them. One, we cannot lift that burden ourselves. We cannot be good enough ever to be pleasing to God. And when we're striving to be pleasing to God and doing it without his power, it's creating frustration and disappointment and friction and guilt within us. God wants to relieve you of that guilt. God wants to give you the gift of salvation through faith. And he wants to do that today. If, so in that, first, in that first little segment, you're ready to be a laborer. First thing you need to do is you need to join the, join the work crew we have people here today, right after the service, right, right here, we'll have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. 
They would love to explain and share and rejoice in your salvation in Jesus Christ today. If you are a person who has accepted Jesus Christ, but you're struggling with that personal growth, you're just struggling with that sanctification process that we talked about, where you're going, ah, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm failing on that all the time. Again, that's something where we want to help you do that through the power of God. We want to help you do that through the, the fellowship and the assistance and the building up of other believers. We have a whole, whole crew of people that want to help support you, disciple you, share with you, and believe with you, and walk with you through that process. If you're in that boat too, I will ask, also ask you to come up here and speak with the prayer team. We'll get your name, we'll get you connected, we'll, we'll be really excited to just grab you and, and pull you in to the work group. But there's, there's some of you who are like, hey, I, I just need to know where, where I'm going. I'm ready to go. Uh, I, I want to go. I want to go out there and sow or reap or whatever it is. We need to pull weeds. Whatever God wants me to do, I'm ready to do it. So the first, you're going to. I'm going to ask you to start that in two places. The first place is in your own field, wherever you're living, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, whoever it might be. You are in a field right now of people who likely need to know Jesus. And you're probably that placed in that, that specific location because the Holy Spirit's saying, you're the one that's going to sow, and then down the road, someone else is going to reap. Don't worry about all that. That whole, that whole seed part from beginning to end is a great mystery. We know that. The Swanson family knows that because we're the world's worst gardeners. Actually, we're getting better. But pumpkins, we haven't mastered pumpkins yet. I was say, I told the first service, Marv has gotten the double blessing of gardening ability, and I think he got my grace when it comes to growing pumpkins. I think our biggest pumpkin's like that big. It's horrible. God does that. He's the one that takes that seed from when you put something in the ground until it becomes the harvest. His, through natural processes with plants and through spiritual processes with people. Don't put that pressure upon yourself. Simply be the laborer who's willing to do the work that he's called us to in your own field, in your own life. But the last point, in your mission. So here's what we're going to be doing over the next year. Over the next year, we're going, okay, got it. Coronavirus wiped us out. You know, people are upside down. But we're, we're not going to just sit here and, and moan. We're not going to sit here and say, oh, bad things are happening. We are now moving back into carrying out some more effective, uh, more effective missions. I keep wanting to say army things like offensive operations. But we are, we are missionaries in a mission field. We, all of us in this building. Okay? And we're going to be focusing on recruiting you as leaders, asking you to do things, empowering you, and we're going to focus on two basic categories of, of missions where we, need to, where we need to work. One, I call it in the house. That's here, in some way, leading groups, ministering on Sunday, helping out here or there, but training and discipling and building up people who are workers that are ready that, that want to be laborers, okay? So a big part of this is current leaders who are already, you're ready, and we're going to start giving you people to raise up. Or we have current ministries right now that they need help. 
We're going to, that they're already raising up people, but they need help. We're going to ask you to start doing more to help them because you guys are good workers. You're ready and we've got a harvest. That's in the house. The second category, I call it in the streets and that's out of here, out there. And that could be a block away or it could be around the world. But we're going to start focusing more and more on how we can reach out to the community we're involved in, to areas in need, to broken families, broken homes, those who are lost and are crying out for a savior, and those who just need someone to come along and sow, someone to come along and reap, someone to come along and care for them. And we're going to start doing a lot more of that. So when I say get ready, I really mean it. I genuinely mean get ready because it's coming. The next 12 months are going to be really, really exciting. And here's, here's what we're left with. We're left with decision time. Decision time is, are we going to overcome these difficulties and continue with the mission, or are we just going to sit here and go, uh, this, this is weird. The COVID thing's weird. The whole world's weird, and we just don't think we can overcome it. So I can tell you a little story. So, January 2005. I'm in Iraq. We got, we got into Iraq in uh, December, so I've been there about a month, month and a half. One of our missions is to train Iraqi army and Iraqi police in how they're supposed to do their jobs, right? Because they're, they're all new and we're, we're working on them. The most basic soldier tasks that we take for granted, we do every day, become, appear to be impossible for these, these Iraqi units to do. I'm talking basic things. Let me give you the example that really stood out. So we have a unit, we have an Iraqi army uh, infantry battalion, 400 soldiers. Every one of them has an AK-47 because that's, that's the weapons that we're, we're giving them. We're not giving them M-16s for some reason. I'm not sure. So everyone have, every one of them has an AK-47. So something that we do in the U.S. Army all the time is you do inventory by serial number of all your sensitive items, your night vision goggles, your weapons, etc. right? Not a very difficult task to do. It was impossible with this Iraqi army unit. So we do inspection day when they're all going to show up. First of all, only 20% of them show up. Where's everybody else? Oh, well, you know, we don't know. They didn't come. And then those who show up, a lot of them don't have their weapons. So we're going, where's your weapon? Where, where's your rifle? And one of them literally says, well, my cousin had to borrow it today, so I let him borrow it. He's probably borrowing it to shoot at American soldiers, but we couldn't get that basic thing done. And so, so these leaders that are in our unit that are trying to mentor these guys are saying to them, why can't you guys do this? Why can't you show up? We have a certain day, we're going to do a training exercise. They're not showing up. We have a certain mission. We don't tell them in advance what the mission is in case it's one of their relatives. And show up and be ready to go. They may show up. They may not show up. Weapons inventory, you name it. They couldn't do it. And every time we said, why can't you guys do this? Why are you not doing this? They had the same excuse every time. Because of Saddam Hussein. We're like, what do you mean? He wrecked our country. He stole our wealth. He terrorized us. It's all Hussein's fault. So this, by this point, Hussein is in prison. He's been captured. He's in prison. And we're saying, hey, stop with, stop with the Hussein excuses. I got it to a point you're, you're correct. 
but you need to now take what you've got and move on and be successful. They, they would not do it, and you see the result in some of these countries, when they refuse to let go of the, the excuse and they continue with their mission. So here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to, when we're asked, why didn't Mount Helena Community Church fulfill its mission to reach the world, to raise up disciples, to do mighty things for God? We do not want to hear the excuse that we all say, oh, it's because of COVID. That's, that's not going to work anymore. COVID's here. It may be here forever. But guess who else is here? People who need Jesus Christ. Guess who else is here? A crop that is ready for harvest, and we need laborers. So I'm inviting you to get ready, because exciting times are ahead. For this COVID thing kind of kicked our butt, but guess what? It's over. It, it may not be over, but we're going to have to live with it. We're going to have to overcome it, and we're going to continue to fulfill our mission. And it's going to get exciting. So if, if, you're, if you're not excited yet, trust me, you will be, because we're going to start seeing lives changed. We're going to see transformation, and we are going to be laborers with God, and we're going to, we're going to be uh, just filled with the Spirit, and we're going to be excited as we watch God build his church. And we're not going to try to substitute our own effort for it and wear ourselves out. We're going to continue to rest in him, in his power. But resting means you've still got to get, out of, get off, off the couch and labor in his vineyard. So that's what God's called us to do. All right. I think that calls for an exciting closing prayer. I think we should all get up. If, you, if, if you're inclined to get up, get up and get ready. All right. Thank you, Lord God, that you are going to build your church. Thank you that you are not being defeated by friction, by division, by disagreement, by weird diseases, by ships caught in the Suez Canal. You are not defeated by those things, God. You have a plan to build your church. You have a plan to raise up in this body, to raise up leaders, to raise up laborers, to raise up people who will touch hearts, who will help heal lives, who will bring shattered families back together. You are going to, out of this church, bring forth missionaries and church planners and worship leaders and, and people who can go into jails and go into hospitals and go into to miserable, lonely places and bring your light, your light of salvation and redemption and hope that only comes from you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you've called us to partner with that. Thank you, God, that you've called people that are here in this room that are listening and that are listening online. You've called them as leaders. You've given them spiritual gifts to do great things, not by arm night, but by yours. In Jesus' name, amen.